Okay, so joining me now, our man on the ground has given us all the lowdown of, of everything that's happening in, in Marlon's camp, Craig Mish. Craig, how are you? I'm well, Peter. Thanks for having me once again. Yeah, great, great for you to be back second time. So you're a you're a fish across the pond uh, veteran now with with two two uh, two podcasts so far. So great to have you back. We spoke last oof, last summer, a long time ago. So that's right. Um, <laughs> a lot's changed and a lot has a lot has happened since then. But um, Craig, for today, we're, we're going to focus in on on I guess Marlin's camp and, and what you've seen so far. Um, you know, you're the man on the ground. I've seen some some great little clips of of interviews and and stuff that's going on. But before we dive into that, I just wanted to just to go back a little bit to a couple of weeks ago and get your take on FanFest. I know on your swings and missions pod, you were you were talking about to it, um, but just interested to hear from from your perspective how it played out and what the general, I guess, buzz or energy was around the stadium. It looked it looked full. Yeah, there, there were about 17,000 people there. So that's an improvement over last year and a massive improvement over two years ago. And, you know, Peter, I think that people are, are now starting to, you know, gravitate to the team because they realize they're getting closer to winning. How much more of, of winning they'll be doing this year, I'm not particularly sure. But there are some young players to be excited about. Uh, you know, just in general, in baseball, people like prospects. It's, it's kind of a funny dynamic. They haven't proven anything. But yet people really love the idea of having prospects and having a highly ranked prospect system. And the Marlins indeed do that. In fact, they're having an event on uh, Wednesday night uh, for the Chamber of Commerce in Jupiter and Palm Beach. And to my understanding, and so nobody knows this right now, Peter, but what they're having is they're having a, a private event for people who uh, are donating uh, to a charity, I believe, to, to help Palm Beach. And they're bringing all of their prospects there as opposed to their veterans. So it just it just goes to show how uh, intrigued they are with a lot of their younger players. And um, and that's where they feel the future is bright. Now, you know, Peter, as you know, and I know that if you have 10 great prospects that you think are great, not all of them are going to work out. In fact, mm-hmm. you just you're better off hitting more than you're missing. There are going to be some that don't. We've seen that already, I think, uh, with Miami with some of these trades. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But certainly going back to FanFest, no doubt uh, people feel more optimistic than they have in the past. And now the question is, can they turn that into some optimism on the field this year? Yeah. And, and just just on that, um, what's, what do you think from the Marlins perspective? Are they what are they going to measure more? Will it take more, more pleasure in? Will it be? the wins and loss column, let's say, or the average attendance? And what do they see being more important this year, if that makes sense? Yeah, I, I think it's got to be a combination of both, but they go hand in hand. In order for them to get more people into the stands, they're going to have to win. You know, it's interesting, Peter, for me, there most teams and, and most uh, you know managers will say, oh, the opening day doesn't really mean anything. It's just one game in April. It's only April. I got to tell you, I think it means a lot for this team in 2020. You remember, they got off to a okay start at the beginning of the year and then just went into a complete tailspin, I believe a 10 and 31 or something like that to start the season. So I don't think that they can afford to do that. I think that they have to at least show some good face and win some games at the beginning of the year to gain some of that trust on the field this year. Uh, And I think if that happens, we'll have to see if more people go. But I can tell you this, Peter, if they start off poorly – 
it may derail their season in terms of attendance. It's very hard to buy back in once you're 10 or 15 games under 500 in April and May. So uh, hopefully that does not happen this year. No, hopefully not. Well, we've we've just recorded me and the guys have, have just come off a, a positivity podcast and um, it was all good vibes. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give you a bit of insight into that. Um, we were going through the lineup and getting excited with, I guess, just how different this lineup could look and how much more power there is up and down, really, top to bottom. Um, you know, there's a few roster or position spots up for grabs as well, and we'll see how that plays out. But um, flicking over to to camp now and what we've seen in, what, the first few days, let's say, um, what's what's been the kind of general or overall atmosphere around about the camp? Is it is it positive as well? Yeah, it's very. It's always positive at the beginning because it's new, it's fresh, and nobody has any wins or losses. So everyone believes that they can, you know, be in first place. And uh, you know, for the for the Marlins, it's 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 positive because I think that just from a conceptual point of view, they're not going into the season touting players. And again, no disrespect to any of the the players I'm going to mention, but they're now not touting a starting left fielder who ends up retiring at the end of the season, and Curtis Granderson. Or they're not touting a player, another great, fantastic, nice player in Neil Walker. But, I mean, those are the kind of players, Peter, that they brought in last year. I mean, those were their upgrades. And as it turns out, they really weren't much of upgrades at all. This year, they really feel like they've done that, especially with two key players. One, of course, is Jonathan VR, who they ended up making a deal with and acquiring him from the Orioles. And it looks like he'll end up playing center field for the team. So, no question that that's a huge upgrade, just having a dynamic player that can steal bases and play everywhere. He may very well be the best player on, on, the, on the Marlins right now. And then they got Corey Dickerson to play left field, who is a proven hitter. And uh, health has been pretty solid over the last couple of years. That was something early in his career that he had an issue with. But with, with a healthy Corey Dickerson and getting 500 or 550 plate appearances, there's 25 home runs. I mean, that's going to happen. You couldn't say that about any player going into last year. And then, of course, you have Jonathan Aguilar. They, you know, going to throw a dart, take a chance with him. They got someone they feel is reliable in the ninth inning with Brandon Kinsler. And those are really the key components of the players that they've brought in this season um, to see what happens. Also, Matt Joyce is another addition, Peter, that uh, will play some, Matt Kemp. And, you know, the Joyce and Kemp names are similar to the names that they had last year, players toward, uh, toward the end of their career that they're just going to see if they have something uh, to, to offer the team this year. But in terms of upgrades, they have spent some money, uh, albeit some of the money that came off the books with Castro and Prado. That's true, too. But they did reinvest that money, which was important. Yeah, agreed. <clears throat> I'm, I, like you, I think um, Jonathan Villar seems to be, or is is likely to be, perhaps, the, the Marlins' best player this year. He he looks a great addition. I'm, I'm really intrigued as well, the way they've opened up on day one with position players that, you know, all the buzz is, well, we're going to try him in center field and that's what we're projecting. So I was surprised that that was what came out from in day one. I think we all expected him to, to have a, you know, have a try there, let's say. He hasn't spent a lot of his time uh, in, the, in, in the outfield and in center field in particular. But, you know, that was intriguing, I think. That was one of the main takeaways that I saw. I know you got some time and spent some time with, with VR. Um, how, how was he kind of sounding about the, the center field switch? Yeah, I mean, he doesn't sound confident like some other players were, but I, I think that he's made it clear that he's going to do whatever it takes to to help. And and I think that's what you want to hear. My guess is when the cameras are off and 
and we're not speaking to him publicly, privately, I'm guessing that he's probably telling people, oh, no, like, <laughs> I'm going to play center field. <laughs> I mean, I have to guess that if publicly it's even somewhat skeptical. But, uh, look, uh, he's going into a season where he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Uh, more often than not, Peter, those seasons usually go well because players have an ability to get paid. It doesn't always go like that, but a lot of times it does. And I think the other thing that you have to think about with VR, not even just defensively, but offensively too, and, and there are some people in some of the advanced metrics that are predicting that his statistics will come back a little bit playing in Miami, meaning that he won't have quite the season that he had last year in Baltimore. But let's consider that for a minute. He played on a team that almost from day one, there were zero expectations for that club and zero expectations to win, and they ended up uh, you know, winning less than 60 games. So the idea for him to have that kind of year on a team that poor would lead me to believe that he can put up even better numbers here in Miami. But I can understand you're playing in Camden Yards versus playing in Marlins Park. That's certainly uh, a very good argument to have. Uh, Don Mattingly over the last few years has not run his players as much. Uh, outside of D. Gordon, there's been almost no steals, and any advanced metric on their base paths running has been at the bottom of the league. And so will his steals come back a little bit? Will his runs come back a little bit? Yeah, I think that there's probably a chance of that. But overall, I totally agree. I think he's the most talented player they have on the team. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, you just mentioned Don Mattingly as well. Uh, have you had a chance to speak to Don at all in the in the last couple of days? And if so, what, what were the key takeaways from, from those conversations, if you can share them? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, publicly, yeah. I mean, publicly was just more or less, you know, state of the team, state of the organization. I think that with him signing an extension coming off the year that he had last year, he keeps saying, this is it, this is time, it's time. And I don't think necessarily believe it's time to win 100 games, but it's time for the club to now make a jump. And while mm -hmm. no one will come out publicly and say how many wins that means, it has to be on everybody's mind. It has to be on our mind. It has to be on their mind organizationally what that number is and what it needs to be at the end of the season. Now, it doesn't need to be exact, Peter. Like, we don't have to come up and say they need to win exactly 70 games or exactly 67 games. But you mm -hmm. need a range of being better. And I think that range, simply put, uh, needs to be approximately 10 games better than it was last year. I mean, I, I think only winning, you know, three or four more games over 57 and losing another 100 is unacceptable. And I would have to think that's going to cost some people their jobs if that happens again. But look, I thought that there could have been a change after last year. They chose not to. And so we'll just have to see if indeed they uh, they improve significantly this year. Yeah, my, my gut take is on this one, and we, we just spoke about it with, with the guys as well. I, I think there'll be disappointment if the number doesn't at least start with a seven. Um, so 70 plus, I think, will be, in my opinion, where the, the bar would be. Well, I mean, that, that, I mean, you're setting a much higher bar than almost everybody else. I mean, really nobody, there's only one projection system that has them winning more than 70 games. Las Vegas has them winning somewhere between 63 and 64. So uh, I hate to disappoint you, Peter, but, you know, <laughs> but, but that is the realistic number as to what Vegas thinks they can be. Remember, uh, you know, it, you have to look at the number last year. I mean, it was 57 wins. So if you just simply add up uh, wins above replacement with what they've added now that when the subtractions they've made didn't really make a difference, but uh, maybe Castro with a win or two. But assuming all things are equal and they go if they didn't have put it this way, Peter, if they didn't have Starling Castro on the team last year, how many games would they have won? 56, 55, probably around the same. So let's use that number. Let's say 56. How many wins does Jonathan VR add to the team this year? Three or four, probably. So that gets you to 59. 
Corey Dickerson, how many wins above replacement is he? Two or three? Okay, that gives you 62, 63. Maybe Aguilar is a little, maybe he goes back to sort of what he was two years ago. Okay, I'll give you that. Two more wins, 65. Uh, but, you know, again, all the pitchers were healthy all the way through June. Um, you know, Peter, I mean, that that range that is that is realistic is probably in that 65, 66, 67 range, I think, for most people. Uh, if they go above 70, I think that that would be a massive improvement. Remember, most teams don't go from 57 to 77. Like that's it's almost unheard of. So, you know, just keep that in mind. Yeah. Temper expectations, I think, is the message there, Craig. And you, you, you're correct. And actually, when the guys listen back to to this uh, this part of, the, of our interview now, um, they'll remember me doing exactly the same last year when I was subtracting pieces um, that had been traded away, and those guys were high and I was low. I think I projected 53 last year. Wow! Um, so okay. <laughs> you know, I went I went really low. I just I knew we'd given away a lot, and there was. You know, the, the Major League roster wasn't looking too great last year, but it's certainly yeah. been upgraded. No, it's better. But remember, when, when you're talking about a 20-win improvement, you're talking about the Chicago White Sox, you know? Like like adding Yasmani Grandal and having Eloy Jimenez in the Major Leagues and adding Dallas Keuchel and having Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech and, uh, and Jose Abreu. You know, those are massive players. Those are young hard-hitting, high-end prospects that are ready right now. And so if we're having this conversation next year, Peter, and we're talking about is J.J. Blade on the opening day roster, did the Marlins go out and sign someone else too? Uh, a couple of these pitchers, do they take that next step? Does one of them become a true ace, not just on the Marlins, but maybe in the National League or in, or in the league in general? You know, They don't have that. Is Sixto Sanchez an ace? Is Edward Cabrera an ace? Like, those are all realistic things for 2021. I think you just have to understand that the improvements that they made are significant. But I just think it, I'd be very hard-pressed to pick them to win 70 or more games this year. That seems very high to me. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> I think we've got, we've got carried away. But, um, and, and as well, the NL East is, is, is That's not a great point. Either. That's a you know. very good point. I mean, the Nationals may be a little bit worse, but they're more or less the same. The Braves are the same. The Mets are the same. Um, you know, the Phillies are. I mean, these are all 80-win teams. They don't have any doormats. This is not like playing with Detroit in the division or maybe Pittsburgh in the division or Baltimore or Kansas City. They don't have any of those teams to beat up on. Uh, so, look, I'm, I'm sure their, their record within the division will be better than it was last year. It was, it was really poor last year. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but, you know, we also have to keep our realistic hat on a little bit, I think. Yeah. Good. Well, let's, let's move on from that. <laughs> and um, just uh, what I was intrigued to hear from, from your perspective is the new guys. So some of the guys that you know, weren't in the organization last year, you've managed to spend a little bit of time with them, let's say. Um, who's... Who's kind of stood out to you? Who's impressed you in, you know, I guess it's more in the way they've spoken or how they've spoken, but you know, what's the, what's the kind of early vibes you've, you've had from those guys? Yeah. Well, you know, the interesting one I think is probably Kinsler because he, uh, you know, has left some really good teams and good organizations in Washington and Chicago, and then essentially had a pick of a handful of teams to go to and, and really chose to pitch for the Marlins. And I, and I think he did it for a number of reasons. And, 
you know, first and foremost, I think he likes the direction of where the team is headed. He sees himself in a good ballpark. He played in the All-Star game in Miami two years ago, uh, three years ago in 2017. So he liked that experience there as well. And personally, I think he sees an opportunity to really succeed and potentially get another contract. I think he wants to keep playing. Now, the Marlins did give uh, do have an option year on him for 2021, which was interesting. So certainly they don't have the pressure of trading him at the deadline. But I would think that uh, from Kinsler's perspective, he must like the way things are going, Peter, because he played with the Cubs and he played with the Nationals. And he played with the Brewers, all really good playoff teams over the last five, six years. And so now he chooses to come here. And that certainly is a good sign because he could have gone a lot of other places. Yeah, I, I spoke about it a few weeks ago with the guys, too, on on that. I know through the, the offseason, you were um, you always had Kinsler uh, mentioned as an option for the Marlins. And as well, at the same time, there was talk of Pedro Strope and one or two others. What I found interesting on, on that in particular was Strope ended up signing for around about half the contract value, let's say, or the, you know, for, for this year anyway, than, than Kinsler. And what that says to me is the Marlins decided they wanted Kinsler specifically and were willing to pay him and have the option if uh, if they want to keep him for next year, which I thought was was really interesting and encouraging from like a Marlins fan perspective that they're willing to spend some money and get the right player rather than just a player, let's say. So that was interesting. That was my perspective anyway. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. That's correct. Um. Cool. Well, that's that's useful. What one other thing that's I guess maybe the 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 VR stuff coming out has maybe helped to solidify this already. But one one other thing I wanted to get your take on is this is this outfield battle because going into camp there was fifteen or sixteen outfield options um, knocking around or something maybe even more than that. So how do we see this shaking out? And really, what, I guess there's some key questions to be had over. Sierra or Brinson, let's say, who are really maybe fighting for their lives to, to stay on this roster. Yeah, so Dickerson will make the team and, and he'll be the starting left fielder. And it, it appears as though Garrett Cooper now slots in as the right fielder. So that's the second outfielder. Uh, I, I think Harold Ramirez will, will be part of the team. So that'll be the third. So that just basically leaves two more spots. And one is Jonathan VR. So uh, there'll be one more outfielder if you consider John Birdie a all-over-the-place player, utility guy, infield, outfield. And that final spot is going to come down, Peter, I think, to you know, uh, Brinson versus Sierra. Uh, and, and the Marlins will have a decision that they'll have to make because, uh, you know, Matt Kemp is also involved in the mix. And so he's a possibility as either a backup outfielder or as a first baseman. But the Marlins could send uh, Brinson to the minors and because they do have one more option with him, they do not with Sierra. So Sierra would make the team as the fifth outfielder. Uh, I don't know which way they're going to go. I, I don't think that either of those two players that I'm mentioning here, Brinson or Sierra, have any long term future with the club. It wouldn't surprise me to see them keep neither of them. It wouldn't surprise me to that they would keep one of them. Um, personally, I, I think it's a fun conversation to have if you're local in South Florida covering it in the media or like yourself covering it on a podcast. I hate to say that they are irrelevant players in the organization. I just feel like the time has passed on them, and I and I don't think that they're going to be a big factor with the team. Yeah, interesting. It, it really interested to see how that plays out. Um, most feeling, my feeling is the most likely scenario is that that maybe Sierra goes, Brinson maybe goes to AAA, and maybe Matt Kemp 
is is on the roster to start. That sounds like the most reasonable to me too. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you know, there's a lot of baseball to be played in spring training before those decisions are made. As we know, Lewis is has got a good track record in, in spring. So um, I don't know how much weight you can you can take to, to how he performs, but the reality is he'll know he'll know the pressure's on, and so it'd be interesting to see if he can he can deliver in 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 that in that situation. Um, so I don't, I don't know that that matters at all anymore. No, maybe not. Maybe not. He's had he's had some chances for sure, but. Moving on from the outfield, um, what from a rotation perspective, it, are there still some spots up for grabs there? See that playing out over the next month or so. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, Sandy Alcantara will be the opening day starter, and Caleb Smith will make the second start for the team. Pablo Lopez will make uh, the third start, and then you know, beyond that, I think there are some you know interesting options. I think Eliezer Hernandez is a possibility. Jordan Yamamoto could be in the rotation to start the season as well. And then, of course, they put Jose Urania back in the rotation. And, Peter, if you follow me, you've known that I've said that that was going to happen uh, you know, for months now, no matter what they said publicly about him being in the bullpen that was not going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I still believe that there's a, a possibility, if, not, if albeit a strong possibility, that they try and move him. And between now and opening day, my guess is that you'll see a pitcher or two. You never wish this upon anyone, but a pitcher or two get hurt. And that would open up the door for Arania. I know they're trying some new things with him, a little bit more deception to see if, uh, you know, he could be a little bit more uh, predictable from their standpoint, but unpredictable uh, from the batter. Because I think that a lot of times that they knew, you know, his pitch selection and things that were, were kind of coming. Um, another player that I don't think that has a future in the organization, it would be best served if they could move him and get something back. But believe me, Peter, they've tried. They just have not been able to cash in. And maybe part of that was he was hurt for some of last year, too. So um, I, I can't say anything is 100%. It's not fair. But uh, if Arania does make the rotation at the start of the season, they'll move him in July. I, I still believe that before the end of the spring, they end up moving him. And then, uh, you know, Hernandez and Yamamoto would probably cap off the rotation to start the season. And they're placeholders, clearly for the other kids that are going to come up and start. Yeah. Interesting to see. I, I like Jose a lot. Um, I always have done since I've started following the Marlins. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that plays out. Um, but yeah, I think, again, going back to most likely scenarios, that it feels like that is the most likely scenario. So, you know, let's see how it goes. Um, right. Well, let's, uh, conscious of time, Craig, and I know you've got so much on at the moment. So, you know, appreciate you taking the time with us, but let's let's kind of round things off. Um, maybe in your style, actually, with um, you know half half real baseball, let's say, and you know finish things off with a bit of fantasy baseball. Um, you may or may not know, but I've also got a, a another venture, another podcast on the go at the moment um, called Roto Brits, and uh, it's specifically specifically focused uh, on, on fantasy baseball, and it's just you know two UK-based guys who. We like fantasy baseball, and you know we thought we'd, we'd get the podcast fired up and try and help some guys. But um, I'm not going to cover it. I'm going to go into any other teams, but just from a Marlins perspective, I know fantasy is a, a huge passion of yours as well. So um, just was intrigued to run through a few bits from from fantasy with the Marlins um, and and get your take. So from a, I guess from a, um, a well, when I look at the Marlins roster. Pretty much, it'll be filled with. I would either describe it as breakout or sleepers, <laughs> probably in a general. That's fair. Yeah. 
So with those hats on, who, who do you see as the, the most likely either, I guess, breakout or sleeper? And in this, in this sense, they probably could be interchangeable. But how do you see that playing out? Yeah, I mean, you know who the the main characters are as far as fantasy is concerned, and I think that it's interesting because last year, Peter, in uh, in fantasy and rotisserie, you could go. I mean, how many rounds before taking a Marlin? Ten, twenty? I don't think they had anybody being drafted early, late at all. Uh, Anderson may have been the only one, and so I mean, he's back in the mix as being taken. I think this year, uh, VR is among the the top forty or fifty picks in fantasy. So you have VR and you have Brian Anderson, and then you. You have Dickerson and some others who you're basically taking a chance on. There, are, there isn't a lot of certainty, I don't think, with the team. But as far as players on the team that could potentially be breakout stars or, or breakout uh, players, there's no doubt that Pablo Lopez, if he's healthy and he makes 30 starts and he looked like he did in April and May, I mean, he could front a major league rotation. But it's been injuries, Peter, the last couple of years. So you're taking a risk there. Caleb Smith, April and May. And into June, looked like an ace, looked like a starter in the All-Star uh, game. Uh, August, September, ended up giving up 30-something home runs. Like that, I mean, that's just in that in Marlins Park, too. So, uh, you know, uh, Sandy Alcantara, fantastic in August and September, and even in July. But what was he in April and May? He wasn't the same guy. So there's there, there aren't a ton of players who I would say have predictability on their team. There's a lot of dart throwing. So you certainly could do that in fantasy, but uh, the one player that it would seem to me that becomes the biggest sleeper and maybe the one that I would say you could target late in a draft that has a chance to outperform where he is being drafted and I think has a good chance of that is probably John Birdie because Birdie is going to steal bases. Birdie's going to play more than people know, and I think at the end of the year you could be looking at you know a 280 batting average, 33% on base, 15 steals, and uh, steals is a very hot commodity in rotisserie, Peter, as you know. So he would be the one player that I would be most intrigued with. And again, what if VR doesn't succeed in center field? Who are the backup options? They don't have any. Maybe it's John Birdie. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I, I'm intrigued on, on Birdie. I think he's he finished the season really strong, was stealing a, a ton of bases back end of back end of the year for sure. It really ramped up for him. Um, and I know my co-host actually on on the podcast he he picked up Birdie in a number of leagues and and that was the main reason why he, he went on to win some of them I think so he he's a lover of Birdie too he's a Phillies fan incidentally but um, yeah he he loves Birdie and you're right it's going to be intriguing I guess the the knock on effect of VR will be interesting on on Birdie he'll be one one of the most affected players by where VR ends up let's say and. I think I'm also interested to see how it goes for Isan Diaz. Um, at the back end of the year, you know, or after the season had finished, I know Don Manley came out and said, you know, he's not guaranteed at second base. He's got to earn it. And so I'm interested to see how that pans out and what that means to second base. And, you know, there's, there's some ifs, buts and maybes there. Um, but hey-ho, well, thanks for, thanks for the, uh, the birdie insight. And, you know, the listeners, I'm sure, will, will enjoy that too. From a from a home runs perspective, if you if you look forward now, who do you think is actually going to hit the most home runs for the Marlins next year? I would think Dickerson. I think he's got a really good shot. I, I would say Peter, uh, you know, twenty five thirty home runs is very realistic for him. 
my sleeper would be Garrett Cooper if they gave him a lot of playing time. I think he has the most power on the team. Yeah, I, I saw your, your couple of uh, interviews with, with Garrett Cooper a couple of days ago. They were they were candid. I liked them. He was, you know, he he felt the pressure, let's say, or I think he said there was a fire up his ass or however, That's right. <laughs> however he yeah. described it, which I, you know, he, he was he was candid in his views and was keen to shake off this uh, this health concern tag that looms over him. And I think really when Aguilar was signed, there was some question marks over how that would affect Cooper. But as things are playing out now, uh, it appears that he's maybe slated to, to be the everyday right fielder. Um, and he seems excited by it, right? Yeah, and, and it makes it makes more sense what they're saying now, which is you have Cooper as your starter. And I don't think that anybody would have a problem with them having a backup plan there, you know, like having Matt Joyce as a backup plan or having Harold Ramirez. But to take away his starting gig after what he did last year, I think is ridiculous. Like, I, I just I, I didn't I was not a f- fan of that at all. I thought he showed enough to get a, another shot. And if if some of the sentiment that the Marlins had is that he can't be an everyday player, if that proves itself right, what's your insurance? OK, your insurance is Aguilar at first base. Your insurance is Joyce in right field. Fine. But I mean, I, I thought it was a bizarre uh, statement to make that he can't be an everyday player, because, by the way, if you think that, Peter, maybe don't say that and then trade the guy and say that he mm-hmm. can and then get the most value back in return. So I can understand that Cooper was upset. And by the way, do you expect anything less, Peter? You think I'm not going to have a candid interview? This is what I do, man. This is it. This is why we all all tune in. This is why everyone's following your every move. So, um, you know, keep them coming, Craig. That's that's what I'd say. Trying my trying my best. It's not it's not easy. Of course, you know, a lot of the work that I get couldn't be done without the people that I work with. And of course, the people that that sponsor me. I mean, that's a big part of this. And people ask me all the time. You know, Peter, it's very easy for somebody like yourself or even myself just to sit down at a computer and do a podcast. There's no question. But to put in that extra work and try and and get a lot of of the insight and to go to the games and to go to spring training and spring training is about an hour away from me. And Marlins Park is probably about 25, 30 minutes. But uh, all these things being said, it's it's you're putting in time on a product that even though you and I are very interested in, in general, there is not a ton of interest outside of our little circle here on the Marlins, especially nationally, too. So when you're putting in the work, you're hopeful. I'm, I'm, I'm in a similar situation in the Marlins. I'm hopeful that all this work that I've put in in a year or two, that sponsorship and more people will be able to come to me and say, hey, look, this is a viable uh, product to watch, and we want to get behind it. We want to advertise on it, and certainly that's my goal because if the Marlins lose another 100 games this year <laughs> and then another 100 games the following year, I mean, this is, this is not my intention. I can't, can't, uh, can't, can't cover a team forever without any finances and putting all the time that I am into it. So I enjoy it thoroughly, immensely, and I love doing it. Don't get me wrong. I'm just as big a baseball fan as anybody else, if not bigger. But at some point, I do have a vested interest in there being more interest, and so hopefully that starts this year. I've I've always loved the content, Craig. So so keep it coming for sure. The podcast is is excellent. The guests you have on are, are always excellent. So I'm really enjoying it and excited for for the season ahead. Um, I think yeah, I think that's probably a great place to end. Really, um, you know, some some little fantasy nuggets, but you know, really some really great insight on on how what we've seen in the early part and you know what we're expecting to see. 
I guess the only the only topic we didn't touch upon uh, that I that I loved actually again this this may have been your question or was maybe you filmed it but it was Bruce Sherman and <laughs> I I loved his confidence that's how I'm going to describe it he was very very confident and very very assertive and sure on on the direction of the Marlins and I found that I found that really encouraging to see I don't know about you yeah, he seems to be very uh, more. Uh, he seems to be very comfortable now with being the owner of the team. I'm not sure how that was two years ago, but I found him to be very engaging, uh, very easy to, to talk to, a very big, just simple baseball fan who, who knows the game, who knows the Marlins, and and Peter, you know, say what you want about any owner in baseball, uh, you know, Bruce Sherman has made a fortune over the course of his life. And at 72 years old or 71 years old to be jumping into this, I don't think he's doing this from a financial point of view, although there has to be some involved with that. Let's not be let's not kid ourselves. I get it that this is still a financial deal, mm-hmm. but uh, he's doing this because he wants to you know, make money. Uh, excuse me, make money. That goes opposite what I'm saying. He's doing this because he wants a winner. He wants to win. He wants to see the Marlins win. He gets to partner with a ball club with the Hall of Famer, Derek Jeter. I mean, who wouldn't want to do all those things? What's the price that you could put on that? So. That's where we're at, and he says that the team will spend money when the time is appropriate. That remains to be seen. The one thing that I would like to see that I have conveyed to him is I believe that at some point when they identify a player to extend long-term, I believe that that is a big step forward in the organization to show the community and to show the industry that the Marlins are for real. And I don't know who that player is yet, Peter. That's that's what's going to have to kind of figure itself out. Is it Brian Anderson? Is it if J.J. Blade has a big year in the minors, do they try to extend him before his first game, like some other teams have been doing before call-ups? Is it a, you know, they just that that's the identification process of this? An, an Ozzy Albies or Ronald Acuna uh, trying to get somebody under contract under a long-term mm-hmm. deal to know that this is going to be a Marlin that they have. And in fairness to the club, they just you know, do they really have that guy right now? Have we really seen that right now? And maybe, maybe the answer is no, but that could change this year, so we'll see. Yep. Well, time will tell on that front. Um, right, Greg, I'm going to let you get out of here. I uh, appreciate you you taking the time again. We'll we'll check in with you hopefully in the next couple of weeks in advance of opening day. Uh, I know it's going to be, again, a crazy period. So um, let's keep in touch. Thanks again. Uh, it's great. To, it's great to hear your insight and uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you again soon. All right. Sounds good, Peter. And thank you so much for all the support and all the great things that you say about me and about our great team on social media. And you keep up the great work. And I hope you win a fantasy championship this year, too. Thanks again. I'm trying my best. Thanks, Greg.